1: Welcome into the 10th episode of the 5 Reasons Podcast. I'm longtime South Florida sports writer and commentator Ethan Skolnick here along with Chris Whittingham. We wanted to get this podcast out relatively quickly today because there was a lot of action at the trade deadline, the NBA trade deadline, we did a podcast about what the Heat might do. They went a different direction than we anticipated. We will Should get have to had the Dwayne the Wade the trade in there, <laughs> Ethan. What <laughs> was always, wrong with us? You always got to throw Dwayne in there somewhere. We will get to uh, <laughs> what happened with the Heat, cover that. Certainly a surprise today for Miami and, and obviously uh, Cleveland. The big story around the NBA today in terms of the moves that they made, basically gutting their entire roster to try to keep LeBron James. So we will touch on that Here over the course of the pod, before we get into sort of the specifics of this and our five reasons that the NBA trade deadline was interesting to us, I guess, were you surprised, Chris, that uh, that we did see some activity here after there were some reports yesterday that that maybe this would be a slow deadline?
0: Yeah, I'm just kind of fanning myself after all the Woj bombs today. That's obviously what we live for around the trade deadline. I guess there both was some activity and not in some respects. I think the the, the big moves that were there to be made, the DeAndre Jordan trade or the Tyreek Evans moving, I guess the players that we thought might be on the move didn't end up getting moved. Some of the big contenders didn't end up making deals. We'll get to that later on in the podcast, but uh, obviously from a Miami point of view, I'm not sure there could have been anything bigger than what ended up happening today. Even if they made a move for a superstar, I'm not sure. It kind of makes the same waves as this move. But uh, I I think we kind of saw those minor moves on the fringes of the rosters that sort of in the aggregate RO looked like a lot of movement, but I'm not sure anything really significant happened today.
1: Well, a lot of, again, the significance uh, for us here... In South Florida, we start with what the Heat did, and uh, let's start here. You know, first reason that the NBA deadline was interesting to us:
0: Luke uh, Babbitt was acquired <laughs> from the Atlanta Hawks.
1: <laughs> well, the Heat, as of this hour, as as we record this podcast, the Heat have announced Luke Babbitt. They have not announced the other guy yet. And I know if you, if you check out the Heat's Twitter account, where they're announcing uh, their uh, happiness, that yeah, their official Babbitt confirmation, yeah, right, and and that uh, you know, and, and wishing Alcaro White well with the Atlanta Hawks, uh, if you look at the comments under those posts on the Heat account, you will see a lot of people saying, you know, stop bleeping with me, man. Are we getting D-Wade or not? So let's get to that first. And uh, let's get to this from the perspective of what this means for Dwayne Wade before we get back to what it means for the Heat. And, you know, if you look at this in the aggregate over the past two years, uh, you know, I always thought that Dwayne would return to Miami. I think the, the road that he took, to return, obviously much different than was anticipated to go to Chicago for that first year. Uh, it really not work out very well with the bulls with kind of a mismatched roster up there, request his buyout out of Chicago, end up going to Cleveland to follow LeBron. And then that sort of blowing up here or the Cavs roster blowing up here in the first three months of the season. So a different way for Dwayne to get back. I thought maybe he might. And he even said it recently that, you know, he, he sort of saw himself in Miami before his career ended. But I thought it might be maybe on a minimum contract, you know, to start a season in the last year of his career. So a different way to get back to Miami. But I think for Dwayne, look, he never, you know, in my conversations with him, you know, a couple of years ago when he made the decision to go to Chicago, he never really wanted to leave. He just felt at the time that Riley... And the organization were not respecting him and were prioritizing others. And I think if you look at it now from the Heat's perspective, it worked out pretty well because Dwayne gets paid elsewhere and ends up getting the money that he was seeking from Miami and then comes back to Miami, you know, for a heavily protected second round pick and is, you know, comes back on obviously a you know a prorated small contract here. So from that perspective, from Miami's perspective, uh, and we'll get to this a little bit more you know in our second reason but it makes sense but from Dwayne's perspective I think it makes a lot of sense because it, look this this is home for him and and it's clear that the two situations that he went to for different reasons didn't work out very well yeah
0: and I think that's probably the biggest thing that if you were to miss something about Miami beyond you know the fact that it's not really freaking cold in February it would be the dysfunction that has followed Dwayne Wade since he's left Miami. Now, there are some actually that are blaming him in some respects for part of that dysfunction that he has him been the best locker room presence to the places that he's gone, but that's not really the Dwayne Wade that we knew in Miami, so I'm not sure the veracity of those stories, but in terms of... Where he's gone, you look at a Chicago team that there couldn't have been a situation where players were at each other's throats more than with Wade and Rondo and Jimmy Butler in that locker room. Massive dysfunction. The fact that they probably could have and should have won that playoff series against the Boston Celtics last year, if not for injuries. They won two games in Boston and... It was kind of amazing in certain respects that they got into the playoffs ahead of the Miami Heat last season, uh, given the fact that they were so dysfunctional. And this year, you would figure, I'm going to jump in. I'm going to go play with one of my best friends in LeBron James. We're going to compete for the championship. This is going to be fun. And again, he steps into a massively dysfunctional situation. So he's probably miserable. He's cold. And (laughs) this isn't what he signed up for. He didn't sign up for massive dysfunction everywhere he went. And so why not, in terms of if you're going to close your career out, why not do it with some positivity, some good feeling? And I think what we saw today on social media, what we saw today from the Heat fan base, was people just so excited to have him back again. And I think that feeling, when he gets announced by Michael Biamonte again in front of the arena, and it's going to be sold out. I saw a picture of the map on SeatGeek right now for tomorrow night's game. I'm not even sure if he's playing tomorrow night's game, but people... Are jacking up those prices to go and see him just that positive feeling again, I think that he 's desperately missed that where he 's gone because the same adulation, the same respect, the same history he has with the fan base is just not there in those other destinations, so he 's probably so excited to get it back again and If you look at what happened in Chicago,
1: remember the the media didn 't like the contract from the very beginning. If you remember the headlines in the Chicago Tribune and other places um, you know what they're calling it an AARP signing because they didn't understand the direction that the Bulls were going since the Bulls had expressed a desire to get younger and then they added Rondo and then Wade and again it it, it worked out to I guess an eight seed but that was about as far as that team was going to go so uh, for a lot of reasons I, I think he'll be happier down here no question and, and I think for, you know for him it closes the chapter of some bitterness when he left you know the fact that he, he comes back he wanted to come back he made it clear to cleveland according to reports that he wanted to come back lebron signed off on it all of those things are positive and i i think here's the other big thing chris is he comes back humbled a little bit right because he's it's not like you know remember the last that we saw of him and i remember being in that locker room in toronto where he, he didn't know what his future was going to be but the last that we saw of him was a guy who's who still expected to be the lead guy on a team, I mean that's what he was you know during that Charlotte series for the heat in two thousand and sixteen. He comes back now as someone who's already made the transition to being a bench player to to being a he was running the second unit. In Cleveland, and and you know we don't know exactly what happened there, whether he really volunteered to come off the bench because J.R. Smith was unhappy about it, or whether it was something that Ty Lue decided to do. You know, this was about what three or four games into the season this year, but at least you know he comes back, and and it's not you know someone who's expecting to get the kind of usage and the kind of shot totals that that he used to get, and so that that kind of happened elsewhere. I think that makes the transition easier. It reminds me a lot. Chris of the Alonzo morning return in that regard. Right. Because yeah. Zo, you know, Zo with Miami, the first time around was a featured player, went to New Jersey, wasn't happy. There was that, what the, the trade to Toronto where he never reported came back to Miami as a backup to Shaq. And I'm not saying this is going to repeat itself because this heat team is not in this kind that this kind of position, but it worked out pretty well for Zoe playing limited minutes playing behind Shaquille and of course we were looking for Zoe to have one more big moment and then in game six of the NBA finals in two thousand six he had those big moments. You know, with the I guess what was it, thirteen minutes he played in that game and and uh you know was a critical factor on the defensive end and, and really outplayed Shaq in that game when the Heat closed you know clinched the championship. So you know that's the, the storybook ending, you know, that you're looking for and, and Zoe had it. And I'm not saying Dwayne's gonna have that. But at least now when Dwayne comes back, it's in a different mindset. It's in a different role. It's not something that it, Spolstra has to then sit him down and say, hey, we're going to be cutting you to 20 minutes and taking a
0: lot of your shots away. That's already been done. I do actually want to ask you something here, Ethan, because uh, Alex Kennedy of, uh, for Hoops Hype, he just tweeted out there had been a lot of tension between Dwayne Wade and Pat Riley. You knew that when we were doing radio together. Mm-hmm. You were well aware of that tension. But leak sources say the two made up at the recent funeral for Henry Thomas, who is Dwayne Wade's agent who recently passed away. That set up Wade's return to the heat, and sources say he may even resign this summer. So I'll just be curious what you make of the fact that their relationship could be mended at all in some way.
1: Yeah, I, that doesn't surprise me that much because in, in talking to Dwayne and then to people in the organization afterwards, I, I think this was a situation that just got away from both sides because of lack of communication. I, I don't think it was because there was really that much bad blood there. I think there was just a feeling of disappointment on Dwayne's part that Pat didn't step in. I remember the text that Dwayne sent to me after he Mickey Arison met with him at the last minute after the Chicago deal came through. And, you know, he his his quote was, you know, he, they didn't even fight. And I think that was Dwayne's frustration. He, he wanted to feel wanted at the end. And he didn't. It started with the pursuit of Whiteside. And then after that, you know, the pursuit of Durant, which made less sense because it didn't appear that the Heat really had a chance there. So I, I always felt that there was a chance for reconciliation there. The Heat organization treated Dwayne very well when he returned the first time with the Bulls. I, I think that that helped, even though there, there was that controversy over, over whether Pat was ever going to really send that email. But but everything else, I think, was really positive. And so that doesn't stun me. And then, obviously, you know, look, if they, they you go to a funeral together, it sort of puts some things in perspective a little bit. And so, some of that rancor kind of disappears some. And, you know, we even saw that Gabrielle Union tweeted out her happiness for coming home. And, and Gabby was... Pretty upset at Pat,
0: so I think I just kind of feel the, like these two parties just needed a break, didn't they? Like, right this, uh, right, this this year and a half probably did them some good in terms of appreciating each other.
1: Yeah, I think so, and and I think from the Heat's perspective, uh, you know, having you know Dwayne as the franchise face, and we'll get to that in a, in a minute. You know, I think they they saw the difficulty too in, in not having that face here over the past year plus, even if Dwayne is not is not quite the same player. So I, I think all of that, you know, thaw. Was going to come eventually. I just think there have been some circumstances recently that have played into that. Also, we've seen Pat get much more nostalgic in recent years and do things that would have been very un-Riley-like un- in earlier years. I mean, even him agreeing reluctantly to the Wright-Thompson piece on ESPN.com, that's not something you know a younger Riley would have agreed to. So I think what we've seen here is as he's gotten older, he's gotten a little bit more wistful and a little bit more appreciative of the moment. And obviously with Dwayne, there were a lot of moments. So I'm not surprised that he's thought in that sense. And And I think, again, Dwayne being in other situations, there may have been more appreciation, as you mentioned, for the heat culture and the heat way after being in that dysfunctional locker room in Chicago last year and then going to another perhaps even more dysfunctional locker room in Cleveland this year, you know, it makes it makes home look pretty good. So let's get to the, the second reason here that the NBA trade deadline was interesting to us and let's stay with Dwayne Wade here for number two. Let's take it from the business perspective, Chris, because I, I really think Beyond the basketball here, and, and we'll have to see what Dwayne can still provide. I don't know if he's going to start at the two. Eventually, my guess is probably come off the bench, and and probably the Heat maybe go with uh, with Richardson and Winslow as their wings going forward. But from a business perspective, this is where this makes a lot of sense for the Heat because uh, again, you mentioned the the social media outpouring today after the you know the the news leaked of the Wade trade and the casual the casual sports fan the casual basketball fan in south florida is going to be drawn right back to the organization and i think some of those people went away last year during the 11 and 30 start so there is there really is not a face of south florida sports Right now, I mean, Giancarlo Stanton might have become that, but was traded, and so and and the Dolphins still don't have that player, and they're they're now, as we've talked about in another pod, going to enter a very difficult negotiation or parting with one of their most popular players in Jarvis Landry. So Dwayne Wade comes back, and it's like he's he's still potentially the face, even if he's not the player he used to be, still the face of South Florida sports. For that reason, uh, this makes a lot of sense
0: for the Heat. Agreed. Uh, His salary will more than pay itself on just the selling of Miami Heat vice jerseys with the number three on the front and the name Wade on the back. And and even just a a rise in ticket prices, a rise in ticket sales. I argued, even at the time, that if basketball was not a salary-capped sport, the Heat can pay Dwayne Wade whatever they want, and I'd be okay with it. Because... His value to the franchise more than makes up for his basketball shortcomings in terms of his economical sense for his salary. But because basketball is a salary cap sport, I always argued at the time it would be difficult to pay him 15, 16, 17 million a season and justify it in terms of wanting to build a quality team. Now, the Heat have since made some moves that, in retrospect, it might not have been so bad if you're going to give that kind of money to James Johnson or Deion Waiters or whomever. The thinking at the time was always you keep that flexibility so that you can go after big-name free agents. That's not what the Heat ended up doing. So maybe that salary wouldn't look so bad. But to me, the piece of business that the Heat did here in terms of, yes, he leaves. Yes, you create some heartbreak. Yes, you create that sort of negative feeling for a little bit. Maybe you lose some of your fan base and some of that ticket demand for the games that followed. But I think they ended up rebounding from it in half a season in terms of creating that positive feeling. And you kind of create this landing strip for the return, right? Because the return, mm. whenever it happened, was always going to be this incredible euphoric moment for the fan base. And I think now that it's come even earlier than you might have expected, and you're only paying a pro-rated $2.3 million against the cap for it. That is Insane value for money in terms of the piece of business. So you could have been if you had extended him at eighteen, nineteen, twenty million a season, and you would still would have been paying that this year. To to compare that versus what you'll get him for. I saw people say, "Oh, but what about you know the uh, you know Dwayne Wade's faults? It doesn't matter anymore. Right. If, if if he even if he does have faults, even if he is an aging player." I was never arguing that you know the, the Heat shouldn't have him at all. I'm saying you have to have him at the right price. And now this is more than the right price. This is value. This is the best you could possibly ask for. You get the Cavs to sort of make him take the pay cut And then you get to reap the benefit of it. It's brilliant. It's a brilliant piece of business that in 18 months you went from pure heartbreak in this city with losing one of its all-time greatest legends, a Mount Rushmore face in this market, to in 18 months you get him back, you get the business boom of him coming back, and you don't have to pay any money for it. That's an insane piece of business that the Heat did it also helps restore the heat's reputation
1: in the sense that Dwayne leaving was a big blow to that whole heat lifer thing that they had been pushing out there. And, and, you know, after Dwayne left, you know, they changed the motto to heat culture. It went from heat lifer to heat culture. And some people, you know, will never get over, you know, the way that Dwayne left, but at least if he's going to finish his career in a heat uniform, um, here it's, I think for a lot of fans, uh, it makes them feel better about the organization. And I also think that that helps somewhat in when you're dealing with players in the future, too. You know, that we we ended up, yeah, guys like Zoe and, and Dwayne left, but, you know, we brought them back. You know, that they, they came back to the organization. So that's something that they can sell also.
0: I, and, I also and, think- and I don't know if you saw this, but LeBron put on Instagram his only thing that he said in the aftermath of all the trade movement. He put out a picture of Dwayne Wade in a Heat jersey said uh, he's saying, you know, that this looks right. Or it says truly happy for my brother Dwayne Wade. It's how it's supposed to be. Love you, my guy. Hashtag Wade County back. So, right. uh, so and I think that 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 sort of that negative feeling is kind of dissipated on, on kind of all parties as well. And it's interesting. We talk
1: about how bringing back uh, Zoe and, and Dwayne, Jason Taylor came back to the, the Dolphins organization too. So you've had three of sort of the the landmark athletes in South Florida in the past 20 years and all of them left and ended up coming back. So look, there, there was no question that the fans were going to welcome Dwayne back. I mean, the fans welcomed Ricky Williams back after Ricky disappeared for a while and came back. And, and he, you know, he got a lot of love, you know, in the stadium when he first came back. So there was no question that that Dwayne would be welcomed back no matter how things ended here. But you're right in terms of what the investment is here and, and not just what they're paying him. They gave up a protected second round pick. So right. uh, it, it's It's not like they gave up an asset to get him. The other thing that this does, and this is sort of the other issue we need to get into, though, it distracts a little bit from the fact that the Heat didn't do anything else from a basketball perspective. <laughs> how, dare, how dare you besmirch the name of Luke uh, Babbitt like that? Right. I'm well, not well, having this. <laughs> well, there is the Luke Babbitt move, and I just saw that O'Carroll White was cut loose by Atlanta. So that was simply Atlanta trying to save a couple hundred thousand dollars by making that trade. But we, we talked about a lot of potential trades yesterday, and none of them happened for Miami, right? Uh, the potential of, of maybe getting a first-round pick for Wayne Ellington. If you look at what happened here in the market today with only Cleveland, the only team in the league that traded a first-round pick – and Tyreek Evans didn't command a first round pick from anybody, you weren't going to get a first round pick from Wayne Ellington. So I wonder if they explored that and just didn't find that they were going to get that for him and decided to hold on to him. You know, we talked about the potential of trading one of the two big pieces that they have in terms of contracts, Whiteside or Dragic. Those two things didn't happen. So from a Dragic's perspective, I don't think that's a big deal because Goran's playing at a high level. With Whiteside, though, that means you. You need to try to find a way to make this work here until yep. the end of the season. With Bam getting additional minutes, and we don't know how long Lennox is going to be out, but with Bam getting additional minutes, and even you know Spolstra talked about Bam and Whiteside playing together, and then that didn't happen against Houston. So that might be something to look at going forward. But you know Hassan has another opportunity, and he keeps getting opportunities. He had another opportunity to prove himself to the Heat franchise that he can be a cornerstone piece. And I do think that Dwayne's return helps him more than anybody else on the roster. The other thing that the Heat did not do was they didn't, they weren't able to move, and again, this is something around the league. We didn't see any of those sort of $15 million contracts, you know, the Damari Carroll-type contracts. Those didn't move today either. The Heat didn't move James Johnson. They didn't move Tyler Johnson. They didn't move Deion Waiters. So I think what the Dwayne Wade move does is it sort of takes fans' eyes off the, okay, maybe we made some really bad decisions last summer, but the two things it doesn't do is we i don't believe that it elevates the heat to say a 3 seed in the eastern conference and the other thing it doesn't do is it doesn't clear out any cap for the future so you're you're basically cap neutral on this those are the two things that were not accomplished today the one thing that was accomplished was you know something that i think does have value which is bringing you know, a franchise face back to the organization, but it, it does not accomplish those other two things.
0: Agreed, and I think that it is indicative of a league that I think is going to start to become more conservative in terms of player movement and in terms of taking risks. Because I think not only is there the fact that the salary cap boon is over, right? You're not, you're just not going to see a twenty-five million dollar rise from year to year in terms of the the affordability of getting salary. So I think you're trying. I think too many teams right now are trying to dump salary for Miami to kind of break through, particularly when they don't have the first-round carrot in terms of uh, a pick to go and make a move like that. But I just think you're seeing also teams that are hesitant to make the big mistake. I think you're seeing teams that don't want to be the next Brooklyn and I think that is going to end up leading to a, a far more conservative view on player movement. I just don't think that there are you know teams like the Knicks, teams like the Kings, teams like the Nets, you know, when they were poorly run, that are willing to make the big mistake or, or frankly, are poorly run. I just don't think you see teams that are poorly run anymore. And so that's going to end up having an effect on the trade market. So, of course not. No, no one was going to take on that Tyler Johnson contract unless Miami gave up. I would say... A first-round pick and Winslow or Bam Adebayo, so I, I just don't think that there are teams that are willing to pay the prohibitive prices for these things, and so you're just—I think you're going to see this Heat team really stand pat. All right, let's get to our third reason
1: here. Um, let's switch over to the team that traded Dwayne Wade today, the Cleveland Cavaliers. Third reason that the NBA trade deadline was interesting—I think for most of the country, this is the number one reason why the trade deadline. Was interesting. Uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers make three trades today. Their first year GM, Kobe Altman, uh, he well he he went big. Three different trades. One with Miami, the Dwayne Wade trade, which was really a product of Dwayne's request to go, and also you know them feeling that he wasn't going to have much playing time for him as they went younger, and and then the two big trades that they made. One with Utah and Sacramento, and then one with the Los Angeles Lakers. The Cavs send out six players today. They get younger. They add some money for the long term. We're going to get into a little bit uh, what this means for LeBron ultimately.
0: But what do you think of the moves that the Cavs made today? Well, I'm not really sure how it affects their fortunes going forward. Obviously, it didn't seem like towards the end, he and Isaiah Thomas were getting along. And so I think they just wanted to cut their losses on that. I'm surprised that they couldn't do better than their first-round pick, even if it was lottery-protected. Their first-round pick... Isaiah Thomas and Channing Fry both on expiring deals. So you're basically offering cap relief and a first round pick. And the best they could do is Jordan Clarkson, who I think the Lakers pretty clearly wanted to get rid of, and Larry Nance, who's a decent player, but I don't understand how they couldn't do better. Now, in terms of getting Rodney Hood, I think a lot of people value him as a player. Maybe stuck in a bad offensive situation, in Utah can kind of be elevated by LeBron. George Hill as well, in terms of a solid uh, veteran point guard. Uh, and then obviously getting the second round pick doesn't mean much for Dwayne Wade, so I I think you look at the the moves that they made, I'm not sure they really got that much better, and I think we we talked about this too on a Cavs pod previously, the way that LeBron views these things is, is I think, a lot different than the way that uh, the rest of the league views these things. I think LeBron views it as, who are guys I can trust in an NBA Finals, and did the Cleveland Cavaliers really acquire anyone that uh, accomplishes one of two goals, earns LeBron's trust and sort of furthers that goal of trying to keep him and really competes with the Golden State Warriors. I would say Hood and Hill are good enough, but I'm not sure you're, you're trusting Jordan Clarkson and Larry Nance in a playoff series, maybe off the bench, but I'm surprised they couldn't do more with the assets that they offered up.
1: I'll take a look at it from this perspective. You know, This is the first time in a while that LeBron's going to go an extended period of time without another star on his roster or at least on the court with him, right? Because Kevin Love's out for the next 6 weeks. And we have to see how he returns from injury. But now Kevin Love, you know, moves to being, you know, without I look, Isaiah Thomas was supposed to replace Kyrie Irving as sort of the number 2 scorer. On the Cavs, and that just clearly didn't work out. And I think you saw yesterday—I I don't know if it was intentional or not—but it sure looked intentional, where LeBron didn't even celebrate with Isaiah after hitting that big shot. Isaiah was talking too much for a guy who was contributing way too little, and so that just didn't work out from the very beginning. But when when Kevin Love comes back, he'll be clearly, you know, the number two guy on this roster. And you know, we've seen Kevin Love kind of fade in and fade out uh, in terms of his effectiveness over the course of his Cavaliers career. So it's not just can the guys that they brought in handle it, but can Kevin Love handle being the number two guy as they try to make a run back to the finals and against Golden State? Now, you take a look at the players, uh, potentially Golden State, maybe Houston, but, but likely Golden State. I think you look at the players that, that they acquired. You know, George Hill has big game experience. George Hill played in a lot of those very competitive series against LeBron uh, when he was with the Indiana Pacers. So I, I think with George Hill, there's a comfort level there that he can play well in those games. He can play on and off the ball. I think he's a very good fit with LeBron because mostly, you know, over the course of his career until he played with Kyrie – You know, LeBron had played with point guards that played off the ball quite a bit, whether it was Mario Chalmers or Eric Snow, others that he played with in Cleveland, Damon Jones. I mean, that's the type of guard that he played with. You know, George Hill, I think you can argue, is is basically a better version of Mario Chalmers. So I, I think that that move makes a lot of sense. Clarkson can play on and off the ball. I think that that was another benefit to getting him. Rodney Hood, you know, took the next step this year that they were waiting on, and and obviously he has younger legs than the guys that he's replacing. So I, I think there are useful players that they added and Larry Nance is, is a guy who has had very good spurts with the Lakers, has never been able to sort of cement himself as a core part of their future. So I think all four players, you know, particularly Hill, bring something to them. But the question will be as they try to again get back to the finals, first thing, how quickly does this thing come together? With that I have some doubts, only because I, I don't really have a ton of faith in in their head coach. I mean I I don't know that's that's the point that I was gonna make was do you trust Tyron Lu to make all this work? Right. I I think that's a big issue. I think with another head coach you might feel more comfortable, but I think we saw with Ty Lu this year that and I don't know if these were directives from ownership or not, but he stayed with a lot of the wrong players for way too long. Now you're talking about gutting, you know, almost all of the roster. I mean, essentially with Love out right now, it's, you know, beyond LeBron, you know, what is it? It's it's uh, it's J.R. is still there. Tristan Thompson, uh, Tristan Thompson. Uh, and I guess Calderon maybe works his way back in here as a as a backup point guard because they don't have Rose. Anymore, But, you know, they, they don't have a lot of holdover pieces and, and you don't have necessarily a coaching staff that, you know, has the chops to put all this to together
0: quickly. So they basically I, have to I, go through a training camp again in the middle of the season and, and they don't and, practice. Right. Exactly. And, and if you had Greg Popovich, that'd be one thing. But I, I don't trust this coaching staff to basically do a full scale rebuild of their playing style and of their team in the middle of the season. That's gonna be hard.
1: It's going to be really hard. Now, the benefit, you know, the one thing that they have is that they're in the Eastern Conference, and that does provide a bit of a cushion here. But but I think anybody expecting them to make a run at anything beyond the three seed at this point, I think that's the highest that they could get to. Toronto and Boston are kind of gone at this stage. So the best you're going to do is the three. You've got a bunch of teams, you know, sort of bundled up there, you know, three to ten right now in the Eastern conference. And I don't think that that much changed in terms of those teams today. I, but that's the thing that there you know, for Cleveland is how quickly does this thing come together, but on the court, you know, for LeBron, LeBron has often played better when he's played, you know, without a star. And so, you know, when the focus is on him, but he has shooters that he's comfortable with. So look, if he gets comfortable with Hill and with hood and with Clarkson relatively quickly, then it could look a lot like you know some of the the units that that have been very effective with LeBron on the floor and, before. But but it's going to take a little bit of
0: time. And should we consider at all what these pieces and being swapped out for the other pieces will do for them on the defensive side? Because I think we're talking about the, their offensive fit together and how all that's going to work. But they're the reason why they're not. Uh, a, a a contender for me at this point to compete at the top of the because they're the worst defensive team in the league. So does the addition of these four mainstays in terms of Hood, Hill, Clarkson, and Nance, do they just, you know, e- even if their offense looks worse, do they at least improve on the defensive end? Well, Hill's a clear upgrade, right over Isaiah. I mean, yeah. I don't know
1: if there's any question right. about that? I, mean, I think
0: he, I would be a, a clear <laughs> upgrade on Isaiah defensively.
1: Right. He's also an upgrade <laughs> over Rose. So, so I think you get better defensively there. I mean, I don't know. I haven't watched Clarkson enough recently to be able to cast a you know a judgment on him. You know, Hood. You know, primarily known as a scorer. Nance is athletic. I think that'll help them, uh, particularly on the defensive boards and, and maybe getting some additional putbacks. So, I think that. You know, you look at the four guys that they added, they're younger and they're a little hungrier. I think that certainly could help on the defensive end. I mean, a lot of what they were dealing with defensively was effort. I mean, they just weren't they weren't getting effort. um, And then beyond that, you know, you had guys in Rose and and Isaiah in particular who've never been known as very good defenders. And then Wade, you know, is not at the stage of his career where he qualifies as one either. So you're talking about three guys in your backcourt who couldn't keep their men in front of them. A lot of that's going to come down though to, you know, whether, you know, their most talented player defends consistently. You know, is LeBron going to get more Fair. interested in defense now now that he's playing with a group that he likes, potentially likes better because he clearly didn't like the group he was playing with before. Now, the one thing that this doesn't solve for them is they still they still don't have, you know, a a real deterrent on the inside. I want to get to our next reason, our fourth reason here, the trade deadline was interesting. And this is sort of the corollary to the what does this mean for the Cavs now, which, again, what I think it means is you know they have they have a chance to improve and potentially compete with Toronto and Boston, but they're going to have to get it together quickly. But the, the bigger issue is does this keep LeBron long term? Because ultimately, that's what Dan Gilbert and Kobe Altman were trying to accomplish today is to appeal to LeBron in a way by taking on additional money, by getting rid of some pieces on the roster that he clearly didn't like. They're trying to get him to commit. For the long term, do you think this
0: does enough, Chris, that that he might actually more seriously consider that? It's a good question because I was surprised that the Cavs were willing to deal with the Lakers in the trade market because if you were to project where is he most likely to go, it would be the Lakers, and so it, it is odd that they basically just made the Lakers a better situation because one of the things that the Lakers are going to have to do is get rid of Jordan Clarkson, and I saw that. Someone was saying that the, the Lakers would now have max cap space in the summer, perhaps even double max cap space in the summer if they can if they can pull off a few more moves. Maybe get off of that Luol Deng contract or use the stretch provision on him, and so if he was going to leave somewhere, it would be Los Angeles, and then they made their situation better. So they must have a degree of confidence. But if LeBron, if his pattern of behavior this year is any indication, you'd have to think he's at least considering leaving. And so I'm not sure if by not going and getting any of the big trade prizes this year, whether it was Eric Bledsoe, fellow clutch client, whether it was Paul George who was on an expiring contract, why not us to try and get him on that expiring deal, whether it was DeAndre Jordan, whoever, guys in the league that are all-stars or guys that he respects, the fact that Cleveland did, made sort of solid roster moves and didn't use that Brooklyn pick if this is about going all out to go and try and win the championship, Cleveland didn't do that. They made solid moves for both the present and the future of their franchise. I'm not sure Solid's good enough if you're trying to, if you're trying to impress LeBron James. And so I'm not sure where, where today leaves. I, I think it probably actually makes him more likely to leave because if you look at the Lakers, they've done a brilliant job in terms of getting rid of their dead weight The last couple of years in terms of getting off the Mozgov contract, getting off of the Jordan Clarkson contract, the only thing they have really left to do is get rid of this Luol Dang situation. Then you have Lonzo Ball, you have Kuzma, you have Ingram, and you can go into the free agent market with LeBron, maybe get one more player, and all of a sudden they're building towards the future. So I think the Lakers probably did better to try and acquire LeBron this summer than the Cavs did. Well I think what this does
1: for Gilbert is it gives him an out if LeBron leaves because now he can say well we tried to do something right we we you know we traded six players to try to improve the roster and no we didn't get a star but we got a lot of young complementary players to play with LeBron, and you know, and LeBron, according to reports, signed off on it. So that's the other thing that can be said, is you know he was okay with the move. So it, if it doesn't work out, then Gilbert can kind of walk away and say, look, I did everything I could to keep LeBron, he just didn't want to be here, and, and I think that's the direction you go. If you didn't make any moves at all today, then I think that it's very easy for LeBron to walk away, for Gilbert to be blamed for everything that happened here, and to move forward. Now Now it's a little bit more challenging to blame Gilbert. But I do agree with you that the lakers have positioned themselves to be very attractive to him because i think what lebron would look at at the end of this season in addition to not wanting to deal with the headaches that he has you know in in terms of being in gilbert's organization he would be able to look at that organization and say okay is the young core that you have out there in la is it better than the young core that i'm surrounded with in cleveland and let's just assume that they re-sign Rodney Hood as a restricted free agent, which again is going to cost uh, a lot more money on the luxury tax for Dan Gilbert. You know what you're looking at in Cleveland, you've got you know another what is it, another year of the George Hill contract after this one, right? Mm-hmm. That was a two-year deal. Clarkson is a player with you know can be a complimentary piece, but has sort of a limited upside. He's a good story already with where he's gotten to, overpaid in, his in salary, the NBA. Though. Right. Overpaid. Although, again, we're putting everything against Tyler Johnson, and I'm wondering, you look at Tyler Johnson and Jordan Clarkson, Tyler's going to be making more than Clarkson next year. But I but I think you look at that, and and then you say, okay, what are the other young pieces on this team? And, they'll have you know, whoever
0: they take with the Brooklyn pick.
1: Right. Which it looks like it may end up being a top five pick here after all. You don't have your own pick now, so you can't move that because you traded that today. And so you compare that group that you'll have in Cleveland as compared to what you mentioned, the Lakers situation with Kuzma, who looks like legitimately could be a star quality player in the league, looks like a Lakers steal, uh, depending on what they decide to do with Randall, which we're not clear on yet. Ingram's made strides this year and Josh Hart and then whatever Lonzo Ball becomes. Now, uh, to me, the biggest issue there with the Lakers, though, is is, is LeBron going to want to deal – with the Lonzo Lavar mess out there in Los Angeles, I think that that could be just you know something that's a detractor for him. Can be easily but,
0: solved via trade, though.
1: Yes, you can move. Um, there will be teams that would would uh, would be interested in Lonzo Ball. I think he would have a market. So that that's the question that you'll have to you know say is you know we look for the short term. Again, I think Cleveland did get slightly better today, um, and it, we see how that comes together. But for the long term with Cleveland? Are these young pieces going to be pieces that they that they keep around? But that's the question going forward. Did they do enough to keep LeBron there, or is he still going to look at a place like, let, let's say, Houston, um, which didn't do anything today, but has two core pieces in place there? And so now, how attractive is Cleveland going to be to him going forward when he he can't play with a legitimate star there? That's the thing going forward.
0: Yeah, and I think that's Probably the biggest deterrent for him staying, I guess, sort of uh, even, even the Lakers, as good of a situation as it is are the Lakers ready to compete for a championship next year? Because I'm not sure those young players are far enough in their development. So I'm not sure, and this is always kind of the conundrum for me with LeBron. Yes, he wants to get to Los Angeles, but there really are only a couple of destinations for him to go and win the league. And so I I don't know if the Lakers are one of them or if they're ready for it. Maybe that second signing that they can do can, can sort of help to that end, but I'm just not sure if LeBron's heading into year 16. If he wants to win again, I'm not sure he, he can sort of take on a young team and try and see their, their development through. He needs a more ready-made team. So I'm just not sure what he's thinking in terms of free agency. It's why we're heading for another kind of summer of 2010, summer of 2014 kind of situation to see what teams ultimately make as their pitches to LeBron James. All right,
1: let's get to our fifth reason why the NBA trade deadline was interesting. And let's sort of go around the league here with some of what happened but some of what didn't happen we saw a couple of, of point guards move for second round picks uh, Moutier out of Denver to New York Elford Payton out of Orlando to Phoenix uh, a couple of guys and you sort of had a point related to both of them
0: yeah and the fact that you can get uh, second-round picks, or you can't get first-round picks for those guys, it really is shocking at this point that the league just doesn't value these young point guards. And I understand that Moudier has had some playmaking issues, has had issues uh, a lot with turnovers, but these are guys that are going to be heading towards restricted free agency, and nobody wants these guys. Uh, Emmanuel Mudiay still has one more year left on his rookie deal. I, I figured he was heading straight to to free agency as a restricted free agent. Now, he has still one more year left on his rookie deal at $4.3 million. The Knicks have a point guard who they can ostensibly use for the next year and a half on, you know, 3 and a half, four and a half million million. This is a really, you know, I wouldn't say valuable player, but it's not the worst contract in the world. You're not paying the guy $16 million or anything, but you can't even get a you can't even get a first round pick for him and this is a team in the Denver Nuggets that gave up on Emmanuel Mudiaye age 20 mm-hmm. and so the fact that there just isn't a market for these guys anymore and i think it really does sort of signal this is a league where if you can't shoot we're not going to pay a lot of money. We're not going to give up a lot of assets for you. And it's understandable because the the whole league is moving towards three-point shooting. But to see it this clearly, for the Nuggets, for the Magic to have given up on a player so early and not get anything in return for them, it's kind of shocking. For the Knicks, they're getting a year and a half's worth of a point guard that they're not going to have to pay any money, and
1: they didn't give up anything to get him. And now the Hernan Gomez trade makes a little bit more sense where right. they picked up the extra second-round pick to be able to flip it for Moutier. The other point that goes with that, too, is Boston you know, had sort of shopped Marcus Smart, or at least put his name out there. Again, another perimeter player who does other things well but doesn't shoot particularly well, and they couldn't get a first-round pick for him either. They ultimately ended up keeping him. So I think there is a lot to your point that there's just such a premium that's been put on shooting now that these players are available, that you're not going to be able to get first-round picks for them. I mean, we saw that Memphis couldn't even get a first-round pick for Tyreek Evans, who they shut down a week ago because they planned to trade him. And he's had – and I know Tyreek has had his ups and downs over the course of his career, and he's been sort of cast out of position. He's shooting well. He's averaging close to 20 points a game. I mean, it's been more than sort of the looter in a riot type thing. I mean, he's been legitimately good, could not get a first-round pick for him. And so, uh, you know, teams – I think the other thing we saw today is that teams are really – they're holding on to those first-round picks. Like, they, they do not – want to deal them uh, this is viewed as a very very good draft particularly in the top dozen or so and teams just don't want to part with first round picks the only team to trade one was Cleveland and they traded the lesser of their two picks they traded their own they wouldn't trade the Brooklyn picks. so I think that's the other thing that came out of today is that we saw that uh, teams were holding on to their first round picks and as a result of that as you mentioned earlier no DeAndre Jordan not traded today so the Clippers take him into the summer uh, in addition to deciding to extend Lou Williams for what was a very affordable contract? Uh, I mean, Lou Williams getting eight million dollars a year. I think if you look, if he had, if Lou Williams had been coming up two years ago, he might have been looking at something like fifteen million dollars a year. But it also shows you the value of first round picks, but also how the market has contracted here, where the big contracts are just not going to be coming to guys, and I think that's going to be a cruel reality for a lot of players that are free agents this summer. Teams just don't have any money. And and so that's going to play into it, too. I think the other thing that came out of today, Chris, is, you know, we we talked a lot about Cleveland and the moves that they made. They were the only, you know, contender or sort of contender around the NBA to do anything of significance. Um, All the other teams, right? Houston, nothing. And and usually Daryl Morey is very active. San Antonio, waiting on Kawhi Leonard to come back. Didn't do anything. Oklahoma City, with the Paul George situation, a little bit up in the air. I thought some of his comments this week were interesting. They don't do anything, and usually we see that Sam Presti's very active. Uh, and then in the Eastern Conference, Danny Ainge didn't do anything with Boston. Nothing of significance. I think Toronto made a minor trade, but they didn't do anything of significance. So, And Washington, even with John Wall out, and they were linked to Tyreek Evans potentially, even with John Wall out for six weeks. They played well without him so far. They didn't do anything either. So I think what that shows, Chris, is a lot of teams around the NBA, you know, they look at it and they're going to wait till the summer. And I think there's also a feeling that in this era, you know, why do too much to blow up the franchise or or to take a big risk, you know, when you've got the Golden
0: State Spectre out there and if they're really Mm -hmm. beatable for a championship. And in in the middle of all this, I saw NBC Sports Bay Area was doing a uh, trade deadline show from the practice court at the Warriors facility. And in the background, Bob Myers was playing basketball. (laughs) <laughs> he was he was like you know, a part of like some sort of intra squad scrimmage or something like that. He's not concerned about making trades on deadline day, and I think that's kind of the symbolism in all this is that the Warriors have changed everything. I I don't think there's going to be teams, like you said, that are going to take the big swings when I think they're probably more in the minor move territory of just trying to do something in the buyout market, like what I saw that the Celtics officially confirmed their signing of Greg Monroe. I think those Mm -hmm. are the kind of moves that they're going to try and make, try and see if they can get some buyout candidates, try and see if they can add to their roster in a different way Rather than going and making a, a franchise-changing move, leveraging future assets, I also kind of want to get to like sort of one of these, you know, very wonky kind of ideas. I think the Stepien rule is a deterrent for a lot of teams because if you give a, if you give a, a first-round pick now, you're not going to be able to have it later. And mm-hmm. so if, if basically you're saying, if I give up this first-round pick, I don't have an asset to give away until 2022 or whatever, I think there is that kind of hesitation on, okay, I, I, if I'm going to give up one of these things, I better be, get, be getting something really good. I almost wonder if this situation leads to maybe the stepping rule was created, which, for those that don't know, the stepping rule prevents you from trading first round picks in consecutive seasons. And so that's why the Miami Heat can't trade one until 2023. I think that rule is probably outdated in terms of you know, the, the owner of the Cavaliers at the time that was the impetus for the rule behaved in a way that I think no NBA team would in the modern era. And so I, I wonder if maybe the NBA reconsiders that rule and says just sort of for the sake of, particularly because they benefit so much from this player movement. I think, you mm-hmm. know, trade deadline day is one of like the five most exciting days on the NBA calendar. And so I almost wonder if maybe as, as a way to f- facilitate that movement, not make it so punitive to give up these first round picks that maybe they, they reconsider changing that rule. They might look at that. Of course, Sacramento might trade all their picks uh, over point. the next few years. We'll see. <laughs> and c- certainly
1: Pat Riley would have done that already. No question. Yes, absolutely.
0: All right. Thanks for listening to the
1: Five Reasons podcast. Again, you can find us on Stitcher if you have Android. You can also find us on iTunes. If you have Apple, we're on Google Play as well. This is the 10th episode. A lot of our previous episodes still hold up. We've got some ones about uh, Jarvis Landry related to the Dolphins as well as their, what they're going to do with quarterbacks. So definitely check those out in our archive, and we will talk to you soon.